And that's why they paid Linda a billion dollars for the acquisition. Yeah, agree 100%. And we talked to the company uh, Spectrum Equity, which was a growth capital company that introduced LinkedIn to Linda. They provided capital to Linda and they came to us and we are similarly situated. And so they saw that. It's very insightful for you to mention that. It's absolutely a wonderful strategy to use. I'm Ryan Dice from digitalmarketer.com, and you're listening to my buddy, Ash Roy, on ProductiveInsights.com. Welcome to the Productive Insights Podcast, where you can learn how to systemize, automate, and scale your business via the internet. To access previous episodes and useful productivity tips, go to www.ProductiveInsights.com. Now, here's your host, Ash Roy. Hello there, this is Ash Roy, the founder of ProductiveInsights.com with a quick message for you. If you'd like to grow your business profitably and fast, head over to GetMeToDone.com where you can learn more about the Productive Insights membership program, which is designed to help you grow your business profitably and fast. We help you get clear on your target audience and create an irresistible offer around the specific problem that you solve for your audience. Once we've established an offer that's a good fit for your audience, we then help you to scale your business using marketing automation, which means you spend less time working and more time enjoying the fruits of your labor. If you'd like to learn more, head over to getmetodone.com right now and take that first step towards your business success and your time freedom. I hope you enjoy this episode and get a ton of value from it. I look forward to seeing you at getmetodone.com. Hello and welcome to the Productive Insights Podcast. This is episode 172. This is Ash Roy, the founder of ProductiveInsights.com and the host of the Productive Insights Podcast. Today's guest is going to talk to us about strategic partnerships and how to use them to grow your business fast. We talk about some fantastic ideas, including some real-world examples which will really open your mind to the idea of using strategic partnerships and give you some actionable steps that you can take to use strategic partnerships to grow your business. This is episode 172 and you can access it at ProductiveInsights.com forward slash 172. Today's guest, Roland Frazier, is from DigitalMarketer.com and this is turning out to be a Digital Marketer series. So if you haven't already checked out the previous two episodes, I highly recommend checking those out as well. Episode 170 is with Ryan Dice, one of the founders of Digital Marketer. You can access that at ProductiveInsights.com forward slash 170. Ryan talks about his five-step conversion funnel, which I thought was very interesting. He also shares a very amusing dating analogy. So definitely check that out. And then episode 171 with Richard Lindner is all about email marketing and how to use email marketing to grow your business. Now, there's a special little nugget in there, and that is on leadership. Richard Lindner talks about the difference between transactional leadership and transformational leadership. And just that one thing made the episode massively valuable to me, not to mention all the other valuable stuff he shared around how to improve your email deliverability, how to write better quality emails, how to engage with your subscribers without being annoying to them. So definitely check out those two episodes. I'll link to those in the show notes. 
Now, I have a very special announcement to make. This episode is brought to you by the Productive Insights membership program, which I'm introducing publicly for the first time. We are accepting founding members into the membership right now at a heavily discounted price, which you can keep for the life of your membership. Once we've hit our target in terms of founding members, we are going to increase the prices and they will never be offered at this price again. If you'd like to find out more, head over to getmetodone.com, which is where you can learn all about the Productive Insights membership. And if you want to take your business to the next level and set yourself up for an epic 2019, then we will get you to done. So once again, that is www.getmetodone.com. Head over there right away and grab your founding member discount, which you keep for the life of your membership. You also get access to the premium productivity course valued at $497. And I also jump on a face-to-face video call with you where we map out your business and get you some really quick wins so that you can set yourself up for an epic 2019. You also get to keep a copy of the mind map that we create together. The price of that founding membership for the first month is one-tenth the value that I'm offering in the form of the premium productivity course and the face-to-face strategy call, which will help you take your business to the next level. I'm very excited about this, as you can probably tell, and I would welcome the opportunity to work with you. So head over to getmetodone.com and sign up right away. Today is the 29th of November, and I'm sure you're gearing up to the Christmas break, where you'll have a lot of time to think about how to set yourself up for 2019. And this conversation about strategic partnerships is definitely something that you can mull over during the holidays. So I hope you get tons of value out of this. I certainly did. And so without further ado, here is Roland Frazier from digitalmarketer.com. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Productive Insights Podcast. Today's guest has founded, scaled, and sold 24 different seven- to nine-figure businesses, ranging from consumer products to industrial machine manufacturing companies, with adjusted sales ranging from $3 million to $337 million. Currently growing digitalmarketer.com, rivalbrands.com, and platter.com, he advises other companies on digitally-centric customer acquisition, activation, referral, retention, and revenue strategies, and planned implementation. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Roland Frazier from digitalmarketer.com, and we're here to talk about strategic partnerships and how to use them for business growth. So welcome, Roland. Hey, thank you. Thank you so much. Great to have you on the show, Roland. A big shout out to Esther Kish, who suggested I have you on the show. So thank you, Esther. Esther is awesome. So Roland, could you talk to us about how strategic partnerships work and how you see them as a business growth tool? Sure. I, I mean, really, the to me, the fastest way to grow any company is to either buy another one that already has your customers or partner yeah. with someone who already has your customers. So when I'm looking for strategic partnerships, I'm trying to connect with other people or other companies that already have big swaths of customers that I would like to have. They already have the relationship with them. And this isn't the traditional joint venture thing that internet marketers do where it's like, you know, I'll promote your thing and you promote my thing and we'll split them 50-50. This is a deep, ongoing, embedded relationship between two companies 
that benefit each other and each other's customers by providing them with services that are complementary to or that are a gap in one of those companies' services. Okay, great. So we've seen a lot of large companies do this in the recent past, including companies like Apple, who recently acquired a company called Workflow and then integrated that functionality into their iOS. So mm -hmm. it's happening all the time. It may not be completely obvious to us, but there's a lot of large corporates that are doing this. Yes, we've seen a lot of large corporates like Apple incorporating the functionality of companies, first acquiring them and then incorporating them. And we saw them do that with a workflow app and they've now incorporated that into their iOS system and they call it shortcuts. So yep. this has happened and is continuing to happen and will continue to happen in a lot of different situations. Facebook acquired Instagram. So clearly it's a very powerful strategy. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you have used it to achieve the very significant success you've clearly achieved, Roland? Yeah, so in those examples, there's reasons for acquiring, right? You can acquire, so you can acquire a competitor or partner and acquisitions and strategic partnerships are just deeper relationships, right? You, you might start with a joint venture, then move to a strategic relationship, which would be an embedded kind of relationship. And then that leads to an acquisition. So it's actually a really good strategy if you have a company and you have someone that you think would be a good acquisition partner, or if you're thinking about acquiring another company to do some sort of deal with them so that you can kind of have a couple transactions together and see how it's going. There's a few different ways to go. There's seven of them, really. Uh, you can acquire or partner with a competitor. And the competitor, interestingly enough, as I recall, if you look at the referral, the biggest affiliate for Infusionsoft, which is a SaaS CRM, a customer relationship management program, and Entreport, which is a competitor to Infusionsoft, the last time that I checked, Infusionsoft's biggest affiliate referring partner was Entreport, and Entreport's biggest referring partner was Infusionsoft wow. because they realized that they were doing all this lead gen and people were going to buy one or the other, and if they didn't buy one, why not get paid an affiliate commission on the other? So that would be a good example of a competitive relationship. So that's that's kind of like a frenemy type uh, situation, right? Another reason would be that you want to acquire a team. If you want to acquire a team, like talent, like let's say for us, we were looking at getting into this into the software development business and we wanted to create a SaaS, but we didn't have a, a software development team. So we found someone who was actually a vendor to Digital Marketer, True Conversion was the name of the company, and we acquired them so that we could have their software development team, which already existed. And so that was a really good strategic acquisition for us. Mm -hmm. um, you, you might do it because it's someone who's providing services or products to you already. So, yeah. uh, and this this works both sides, right? So you can either be the the company that's providing the services or the company to whom the services are being provided. So for us, there was a service provider in our real estate investor business that we had who was doing uh, direct mail. They call them mail houses that do lots of um, actual snail mail, physical mail uh, for people. And so this was a 30-year-old, uh, 30 $5 million a year company. And we acquired them so that we acquired the mailing functionality to be able to offer it to our customers. Uh, on the that was the services side. On the product side, I was trying to think of a good example. 
on the product side. On the product side, we acquired a water filter company because we were in our survival life business where we sell survival things to preppers, yeah. selling water filters and stuff like that. And we said, you know, what if we were able to just and rather than buying those filters from somebody else and letting that person make the margin and then we make a margin? Why don't we just buy the actual manufacturer yeah. and then we get the whole margin? So that was an example of that intellectual property would be another reason. We have a business called Startup Jungle that teaches people how to get into business. And so we wanted to add a whole bunch of uh, content around how to do that. And so we bought a company called Business Book Source that had 128 business plans already existing that they were selling. And when we bought it, we instantly had all of those. We're actually in the middle of acquiring a company. I can't say the name, but we just signed a term sheet today to acquire a company that has uh, hundreds and hundreds of courses, kind of like a lynda.com, which was acquired by LinkedIn. Yeah. And we have a, a learning management system, an LMS piece of software SaaS that we are launching called Praxio. Praxio will now have hundreds and hundreds of courses, very high quality courses from for, that are appealing to our corporate market that's our target market just because we were able to acquire that company. And most of these things we're buying for no money down to not a whole lot of money down. So when people look at acquisitions, if you are the seller, obviously you would like to get a lot of cash. But as yeah. the acquirer, frequently we're able to do deals where a company is interested in the things that we can do to grow it and will acquire not necessarily 100%, but maybe 80%. Yep. And then then the existing people will have the ability to get a ride up on the value increase that we bring by bringing our market because we have a lot of customers mm -hmm. that we can that we can provide. So consolidating supply chain distribution, manufacturing, acquiring IP, intellectual property, acquiring team and talent, acquiring service providers, vendors. Um, those are all reasons to do acquisitions or strategic relationships. And what's cool about it is that these other people already have done the work. They've already, yeah. so you have a zero cost of acquisition for customers once you get the deal done. Yeah. And that's like, think about that. If you're paying $100 to acquire a customer and you just added 50,000 of them, hmm. right? What's the, the value of that is 50,000 times 100, right? So yeah. if you can acquire that company for less than that, you, you did good. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. And I want to come back and talk a little bit more about where I think the strategic move comes into play but before I do, I just want to circle back on a couple of other things you said. One of the things you can do is acquire a company that is up the line or down the line. They call it vertical integration. So you buy the manufacturer of your products. So you incorporate that profit margin that they're making into your value chain and into your business and thereby acquire those profits. And then you can also acquire the retailers that you're selling through if you're a manufacturer yeah. and acquire further down the line. And one of Apple's most successful products, which I wasn't aware of till I read the book, uh, Steve Jobs, was their retail stores. That's what Jobs yeah. considered to be one of his biggest successes. And that was a good example of having full control of the whole chain because they also controlled a fair amount of the manufacturing and they're very good at supply chain. And that was one of the reasons I think Tim Cook was made the CEO. They also have control of aluminum supply as well because that's a large part of their manufacturing. You talked about Infusionsoft and Entreport 
having a lot of common customers. I remember there was a chapter I studied during my MBA. It was about co-optition. And there's a movie being made about this guy, A Beautiful Mind, which is a very interesting movie. And this guy came up with this idea of not just being competitors, but cooperating as competitors. It's a good way of being able to share your customers, as you said. Now, the strategic bit to me is when you acquire an organization, it's important, of course, to think of the value that organization, that acquisition will bring to your customer base and how you will be able to add exponentially more value. However, Mm -hmm. I think it's also worthwhile thinking how you as an acquirer can add value to that situation. So for example, if digital marketer already has customers that are looking to self-educate and they want to become better at digital marketing and you acquire a company that excels at learning management systems, then you will be able to add that much more value. Or as we saw LinkedIn do with acquiring Linda, their target audience already wanted to learn. They already wanted to develop their skills because that's the demographic looking to constantly upgrade their skills. So it made sense. And that's why they paid Linda a billion dollars for the acquisition. Yeah, agree 100%. And we talked to the company uh, Spectrum Equity, which was a growth capital company that introduced LinkedIn to Linda. They provided capital to Linda and they came to us and we are similarly situated. And so they saw that. It's very insightful for you to mention that. It's absolutely a wonderful strategy to use. And to expand on that, not only do the people at LinkedIn get the benefit of edu- of all the educational services now, but the educational service subscribers at Linda now are more inclined to become customers of LinkedIn because it's integrated into the LinkedIn platform. So that that vertical integration of acquiring your supply and distribution chain to increase your margins or horizontal integration to acquire competitors or complementary services so that you consolidate your customer base and provide them additional services are both just tried and true tried and true uh, strategies the the one that i didn't mention uh, is also media so acquiring media is another really good reason to acquire another company so for us Media can be as simple as acquiring some other website. It can be we've acquired Facebook groups. So mm-hmm. we know that we know that the value of a customer on our DIY projects Facebook group is X. So we found another Facebook group that was interested in DIY projects. We acquired it. We paid them um, $1,500 and acquired about 300,000 new customers for $1,500. So wow. like, those deals are out there all the time and people don't think about it. And a lot of people who are running Facebook groups or blogs or um, any, any of those media property kinds of things, YouTube channels, right? A lot of them are tired. Like they've been doing this and it's a job, it's work. And so if you come in and you say, you know, listen, I want you to continue to run it. I'll pay you three grand a month and I'll give you another $1,500, you know, for the site. They're like, oh yeah, that's a great deal. I'm absolutely going to do that. And for us, it's like, well, we know that that's going to be worth $50,000, $100,000 a month to us. I mean, it's like those deals are just everywhere. It's it's amazing. And and on both sides, like if if you're the person that has that Facebook group that's got those people, then 
you can make a strategic partnership with somebody like us to dramatically increase your income, right? So there's yeah. just so many ways to do that. If you are the person being acquired, I think you should be listening very carefully. It's important for you as the business being acquired to do your due diligence and ask yourself, how much is my business worth to the company making the offer to acquire me? Because often businesses think, okay, it's worth this much to me, so it must be worth this much to the acquiring company. But actually, that may not be the case. And you can be doing yourself out of a significant amount of income or a sale price. So a good question to ask yourself is, if I was the acquiring entity, how much would my business be worth to them? And ask for your price using that, you know, a value-based pricing approach. Okay, so... Roland, let's try and turn this into a little bit of a case study. Okay. I have recently launched a membership site, which I haven't publicly announced, and this is the first time I'm actually talking about it. Okay. Congratulations. Thank you. How would I go about growing the membership and growing a good quality interested list of buyers? Sure. Well, the, the easiest thing to do is, do, do you, have a, you have a mailing list, I'm assuming? Yeah, I do, yeah. Yeah, so one of the easiest things to do is either upload that to Facebook Insights and mm -hmm. learn about the demographics and psychographic interests of your customers Great. so okay. that you can see where else might they be hanging out. Yeah. Another would be to use a service like Tower Data and upload there and get a deeper look at that customer information. And the other would be to look on your site at the exit traffic and entry traffic and see where are they coming to your site from mm -hmm. and where are they leaving your site to. So for us, for example, we, with Survival Life, we were thinking, what should we do next? Well, we've got, we've got millions of visitors to survivallife.com. What else are they interested in? So we looked at our exit traffic. We ran those demographic analyses that I just mentioned to you, and we found out that they were interested in do-it-yourself projects. Mm -hmm. So we bought DIYprojects.com, and we started putting advertisements for that on our Survival Life site, and people started going over to the new site, which gave it rankings in Google and, and all kinds of user-generated content, which then attracted people who weren't coming from survivallife.com, which caused it to build. And then we knew that those people might be interested in survival life. So we run ads for survival life there and send them back to survival life. Now we've got two of those things. We find out that the articles on do-it-yourself that are most interesting to people are women who are trying to find out how to make their own makeup. So we bought MakeupTutorials.com, and now we send our survival people to do-it-yourselfprojects.com and MakeupTutorials.com, people from DIYprojects.com to MakeupTutorials.com, and so on. So now we have, I think, 61 sites that are all integrated like that, sending traffic back and forth based on that simple taking a look at what are our existing customers interested in that we're not providing them right now? So that's right. one way to do it. The other way is to say, again, who has our customers right now? Where are they going? So on all those interests, if we found out that they were going to, I was trying to think if I could come up with any, any examples of ones that we have bought recently. But if we found that, well, yeah, okay, I can. So we found out that we had customers at Digital Marketer that were interested in analytics. So they were going out to Crazy Egg and Hotjar and these other companies that provide user information and analytics. And 
we said, well, we know that our customers are interested in that kind of stuff. So let's acquire that company, True Conversion, which was an analytics company, so that maybe we can keep those people in-house. And now we can feed our customers back and forth. So if I'm you and I've got a content mastermind, I probably would try to connect with content agencies because content agencies as a strategic partner are going to have customers who are paying money to them every single month to advise them on how to produce better content. It would make sense that those people would be interested in getting together in a content mastermind to learn how to do it better. Right. So what I'm hearing here is that if you take one step forward by getting some understanding of your current mailing list, and by the way, I just want to put a caveat on there. It's very important that you only upload all this information of your list that are subscribers. It's important not to do that with people who have unsubscribed. Not only that, why would you want to find out information about people who have decided that they don't want to be subscribing to your stuff, right? Great that's point, like, yeah. that's, that's the list of people you least want. <laughs> yes, and I see a lot of people trying to do that, and I just would caution against it. So people who are subscribed to your mailing list and are engaging with your content, you can upload it, and this is a great tip. You get some insights from them, but then what I'm hearing is you discovered that thing about ladies wanting to make their own makeup, and that took mm -hmm. you to a new vantage point, and then that takes you to another vantage point, and so on. Correct. So you don't actually know what you're going to find out until you take that step. This is something I'm learning over and over again. A lot of learning happens not in here, but out there. It happens when you take action. Uh, you know, as a friend and mentor of mine, James Tramko, says you can't steer a parked car. So Oh, I know James. James is great. Yeah, he was instrumental in helping me launch this podcast, and he's, he's a good guy, yeah. Nice. The other thing I would also say is definitely have a listen to what is turning out to be a digital marketer series. So the previous episode I just did, episode 171 with Richard Lindner, he talks about how to use email marketing. And it's important to understand your audience to be able to send them content that helps to indoctrinate them, but also allows you to introduce them to these other affiliate relationships you're with. So you can leverage that well. And episode 170 with Ryan Dice talks about his five-step conversion funnel. So have a listen to that as well. And I think the combination of all these three episodes can be very powerful. So you can access those at productiveinsights.com forward slash 170, productiveinsights.com forward slash 171, and now this one at productiveinsights.com forward slash 172. Okay, so let's talk about culture which is something that isn't usually talked about in small to medium businesses, but I think is important. It is. So my understanding of culture of a business is the unwritten rules and norms that a business lives by. It's often related to the why of your business. So some businesses might believe in acting in ways that are environmentally friendly, acting with integrity, acting along a certain set of values and principles. Can you talk to us about how you assess a company in terms of culture when you acquire them and how important a role does that play? Yes, I can. It, it depends completely on what your intention is with the company. So after acquisition, there is a process called integration. Integration mm -hmm. is bringing the two, the two companies together into one happy family, hopefully, right? Mm -hmm. Now, if they have similar cultures, that's going to be significantly easier than if they don't. So in our companies, we have had CEOs 
who run their divisions as a pirate ship where everybody for themselves and whoever's the strongest becomes the captain and anybody can challenge anybody anytime. And we have uh, CEOs that run the companies as a collaborative learning environment where everyone is trying to help everyone be better. And we've had everything in between. And as long as the cultures are similar when you're bringing and then we're speaking specifically in the context of acquisitions and integrations, when you're bringing two companies together, it's not going to go well if their cultures don't match. So right. when, when we are looking to have a company that's going to be acquired, and we were recently, one of our companies was acquired by um, a large company that's owned by a private equity fund, a really big company, very corporate 2,500 employees and 453 billion assets, do, I mean, dollars in assets under management. So like giant, way bigger than, than us. And we have another company right now that of ours that's being acquired by a company that's doing about a billion and a half dollars in sales. And again, a very different culture, different kind of company. So we need to be sure that, that our people and our customers are going to thrive in the environment with those people, or those will be acquisitions that don't work out. So it's really critical. And uh, Ryan Dice talks about this a lot, and he got it from Roy H. Williams at the Wizard Academy, who got it from some screenwriter whose name escapes me right now. But it's very, very helpful to assess the culture using a character diamond, where you have you have this diamond, and at the top is the North Star, the thing that we hold to be, to be true above all else. And then under underneath that, on the bottom part of the diamond, is a counterpoint to that. Some something that is that runs a little different from from that North Star that might even be in conflict with it. And comic books are an easy way to do this. You know, you have uh, you have Batman who who believes in truth and justice, but you have this rage and outrage at criminals and what happened to his parents and all underneath that. And so screenwriters use this in creating stories and in creating your brand story, you, you kind of want to do this too. Then on the right side of the diamond, you have uh, the hill that you're prepared to die on, meaning for, so for digital marketer, that's, it's got to be result driven, no ideas, only proof, only proven things step by step. And then on the, on the left side, you have the counterpoint to that, which might be, you know, we're kind of quirky, we're kind of irrelevant, uh, irrelevant, irreverent. So our brand culture at digital marketer, we know what that is, when we look to acquire a company or when we are looking to have one of our companies be acquired, we want to be sure that those character diamond traits, that is those cultural traits and the things that we believe match up to the company that we're about to bring into our house to integrate or whose house we're about to enter. Because if you're a nice person running into a you know, a uh, Hunger Games kind of environment, things aren't going to go well for you. Right, right? exactly. For your customers. Yeah, so that's, so that's kind of how we do it. Does that, yeah. does that make sense? It does totally. And I think about 90% of acquisitions and mergers are believed to be failures where the merged entity isn't worth more than the sum of the individual parts. And I mm. think that culture is a large part of this. I don't think organizations <laughs> think deeply enough about culture. I loved what Richard Lindner talked about in the previous episode about transactional leadership versus transformational leadership. And he explained right. that a transformational leader explains the why we are trying to achieve this goal and then talks about the goal and then leaves the team to figure out the way to the goal. Yeah. And then there's transactional leadership where they tell you, listen, I want you to do it this way and 
you do it my way or it's the highway. Now, if you bring two organizations together that are completely diametrically opposed, you're going to have a lot more difficulty in integrating them. So yes. that is something that is, I think, an important thing to consider when acquiring a company or for that matter, when you're being acquired by a company. I'm not passing judgment on whether one is better than the other. I'm just saying that they have to be compatible. They do. So that's a, that's a great point. Now, have you ever acquired a company that had a completely different culture and what, what happened? Yeah, <laughs> actually more than acquired, actually maybe even a little more insidious than that. The Richard Lindner conversation is really helpful because we've had CEOs who had a very, this is the way you do it, cram it down their throat kind of philosophy, yep. which really isn't, we don't believe that to be the most effective. And we didn't even know that that was going on because- yep. We, we generally, once we, once we hire a CEO, they're uh, able to come to us for strategic guidance, but they're running the operations, which is what you have to do if you're going to grow. And so that was surprising to us, and it did not work well at all, and we ended up letting over 100 employees go as we restructured that organization. So it's, uh, it does happen from time to time. Wow. So the employees that you had to let go, they weren't comfortable with the idea of being leaders. And when I say leader, I don't mean leader of... A group of people, but just leading themselves. They wanted to be told what to do. Was that the challenge? I, I don't think that they were happy. I think, well, the, the reason we had to let them go was the company was failing. Okay. But ultimately, the reason the company, I believe, was failing was because of a lack of, of good leadership. And mm -hmm. the foundational aspects of the company were fine. But when you have somebody who everyone has to come to that person to know, to make every decision, you can't possibly scale that company. So yeah. you get 150, 200 employees under that person and they've got, you know, effectively 150 direct reports. Yeah. That's not, that's not, you can't manage that, you yeah. know? So you have a bunch of people sitting around waiting to know what they're supposed to do next, to be told what they're supposed to do next. That, that that's not a good, uh, not a good system. But you know what I find really enigmatic, Roland, something that just baffles me. Jobs was in so many ways, a very transactional leader. I'm not mm -hmm. saying he was that in all ways, but he had an iron-fisted approach to marketing. Everything had to go past him. Mm -hmm. But yet he would talk about Apple as being the largest startup in the world. And today, after his departure, it does function a lot more like a startup. So I've never been able to reconcile that juxtaposition. Have you? Well, I, I believe that it is because what he was obsessed with was product functionality, product design, and closed systems. And he really had a clear vision of where he wanted to go. But with tens of thousands of employees, he yeah. wasn't trying to have all those people come to him to, to find out, you know, how should, they, how should they open a store? He yeah. hired someone who was really good at that and That's let right. that person do that. Now, he would go to the store and say, you need to have this really amazing glass uh, acrylic staircase built in because that's a cool design and it's going to look like this and this and this. And then he'd leave and he'd come back and he'd say, that sucks. You did that wrong. Right? <laughs> I remember reading that. Right. So, but he didn't, he didn't try to build the staircase and he didn't tell the 50 people that were there how to do that. He would say that sucks. And then the people's job was to come back with something that didn't suck or sucked less. Right. <laughs> so that's, that is actually a little different than trying to be the person who's telling everybody what to do. Does that make sense? Gotcha. Oh, totally. Yeah. So he wasn't so much micromanaging the projects 
He had a vision, which incidentally changed very frequently. And often, you know, you would come back to him with a product and he would go, okay, now I know that's not how it should look. So now go back and, you know, make this better. And often he wasn't very clear about why it sucked. So people were just, you know, running around. I especially liked that he said, that sucks. And they'd say, what do you want to do? And he'd say, I'll know it when I see it. (laughs) <laughs> exactly exactly and so it must have been really hard working for him but at the end of but, the day the customers but, benefited yeah and and the employees can be empowered by that right it, now it's not maybe the nicest way to deal with somebody <laughs> but he said that sucks i don't know what you need to do to it but i'll know it when i see it yeah. bring it back right that means you get to go as the employee out and figure out how to make it not suck correct with no direction yes. so Maybe you would actually, in that case, want more direction, but that that other leader would be saying, oh, what you need to do is make a circle here and make this round and put an XYZ circuit there, and you can't scale that, right? You That's cannot so scale. true. Thank you. You just, you just helped clarify something that, was, that has been bothering me for a long time. So, <laughs> yes, I agree. And I think that is, in a sense, a transformational leader when you say, go away, figure it out, and come back to me. Okay. All right. So let's do a quick roundup of everything we've talked about and then talk about action steps. So we've talked about a few different ways in which you can go about forming strategic partnerships. We talked about vertical integration where you acquire a company that is further up the chain or down the chain, the retailer or the manufacturer. For example, we talked about horizontal integration where you acquire a competitor We also talked about the importance of understanding a company's culture that you're acquiring because there should be some congruence between the culture of your company and the company you're acquiring for the integration, which is the next step after acquisition, for the integration to happen smoothly or relatively smoothly. The value of acquiring companies may sometimes be in their customer base and you can get outrageously good deals as an acquirer if you are able to intelligently approach the acquisition target and say, look, you've been grinding it out year in, year out, and I'm here to save you a whole lot of hassle, and here's what I'm willing to offer you for it. But on the flip side, I think as a person being acquired, it's important for you to do your due diligence and ask yourself, well, what am I worth to this company that is making this offer to me, and can I be getting a better deal out of this? I will add a caveat there. Yeah. As an as an acquirer, you never want to pay what you think the company will be worth after you add your magic to it. Otherwise, you have given away the value that you are acquiring and Good you're point. acquiring at even. So as a seller, you want to be aware of that, that you are of additional value to a company. And so you can command a strategic premium, but you want to be sure that you understand that without that other company that's acquiring you, yes. you might very well be left behind and not worth nearly as much. So just keeping those things in mind, uh, in addition to what you said, which I think is very good things to think about. That's a very good point. I really like that you clarified that because you're absolutely right. As the target company that's being acquired, you are not going to be able to have the value that you would bring to the merged entity. So you can't expect to command that much, but it's worth just understanding the landscape and maybe even doing something like a Porter's five forces analysis. I did an episode on this at some point earlier on, 
Um, oh, nice. I'll link to it in the show notes, yeah. And get an understanding of where you sit in the general landscape. And that may take you to a new vantage point, as you said. Speaking of vantage points, we also talked about how when you do analyze the data of your list or a company that you're acquiring that list, you will be able to get some deeper insights into the needs and wants of that customer base. Because let's face it, most companies live and die by their customers. So if you understand your customers in depth, then that will give you that much more insight into what you can do in terms of solving those customers' problems through your products. Um, And actually that brings up another question. Is it possible to ask for these insights of a target company that you're looking to acquire or maybe get access to their list? How does that work? Is that, is that even doable? Yes, it is. And, and it, a lot of it depends on the size of the transaction and what the investment that you're willing to make during the due diligence process is. So we recently went through an exit, as I mentioned, to a larger company, and they spent several hundred thousand dollars analyzing our list. They actually did uh, what they call qualitative analysis and quantitative analysis, where they ran numbers, they ran demographics, they did all that stuff. But in addition to that, they reached out to a statistical sampling of our customers to actually talk with them and interview them and find out the customer's opinions on things. So it, it you can absolutely do it. It's all a negotiation. And it all also depends on, you know, that was a relatively large transaction. So there were, you know, there was, it made sense to spend a few hundred thousand dollars doing that. But if you're acquiring something for a million dollars, it might not, right? Right, right. Absolutely. You know, it's so interesting being the host of a podcast because every conversation ends up in such interestingly different directions. When you were talking about qualitative and quantitative analysis, it took me back to my corporate years. I'd spent 15 years in corporate as an analyst. Um, (laughs) And it was just really interesting to hear all that. And it's also related. Your five forces took me back to Michael Porter and 1985 when I think he wrote Competitive Intelligence. So it's Correct. It's, it's fun, fun to be interviewed as well. <laughs> so there's quite a few action steps that, that came out of this conversation. And that includes looking at the target company's list, looking at whether there's cultural compatibility, looking at uploading the list into Facebook to get deeper insights into that list, and moving to different vantage points and trying to understand, okay, if I acquire this company, what would the merged entity be like and what would the resulting value be in terms of the value chain, as they call it? Is there anything else you'd like to add, Roland? No, I I think that's a lot of great stuff. I'm sure we could talk for hours and hours about it, though. uh, (laughs) I think it's fascinating and there's so many little rabbit holes to go down that, uh, that are interesting. Well, congratulations on your clearly amazing success having your strategic partnerships and I really enjoyed talking to you. My audience is going to love hearing this. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you for being on the show. Thanks for listening to the Productive Insights Podcast. You can find all the links in the show notes below this episode on ProductiveInsights.com. You can also ask questions in the comment section that Ash personally answers. How can Ash help you today? 